Welcome to Visionaries Global Media, your number one source for podcasting entertainment. Visionaries Global Media, envisioning excellence on a global scale. Welcome to episode 22 of the SJP Wrestling Podcast. I am Sai, your host, and I want to say thank you very, very much for pressing play and taking the time to listen to my show. Um, I hope that people enjoyed the bonus show which came to you the weekend just gone with the head guy and in-ring talent Vinicius from the CCW promotion in Florida. I really, really enjoyed the chat. I, I thought it was really informative, really interesting to hear how... Uh, promoting shows during the pandemic in the States is different from state to state and so on. I really enjoyed it and I hope to have him back on the show very soon. Um, If the odd bonus show here and there is something you enjoy or something you like having a bit of a surprise, just uh, come out on your podcast providers, please let us know. You can contact the show at SJP Wrestling Pod on Twitter and Facebook. Um, we also have an Instagram account, but it's easier to get hold of me on the Twitter, really. But yep, just search SJP Wrestling Pod. Um, on today's show, it's it's a, trying something a bit new um, with the two different formats of the show that we have. Um, mainly, the two formats uh, the show follows are one, I look back on old pay-per-views older events old moments i guess with um various different guests uh, other content creators podcasters and so on which I, I really enjoy doing and then i also like interviewing people from the world of wrestling whether that's promoters wrestlers themselves from different independent shows and so on um which again i really enjoy doing as well Today I'm sort of trying something a bit different and combining the two. Uh, way back in, on episode two, the first interview I actually did, we had David Eaton from the Heritage City Hitmen join me um, for a chat about how he got started in wrestling um, and his career, his likes, his dislikes, uh, and everything in between, really. It's a really great chat, and Dave's really intelligent uh, and well-informed wrestling fan as well as individual. Um... On that discussion, he mentioned the Raw Rumble 2000 when it was airing on Channel 4 in the UK, which is a free-to-view channel for, for those of you who, who don't live in the UK who may not be aware. Um, he said that was the pay-per-view that kind of got him into wrestling in the first place. Um, so we sort of thought it'd be great to go back and maybe review a pay-per-view, but with someone who has actually been in the ring and maybe has a different insight or a different point of view to, to someone like myself who, who doesn't. Who hasn't, sorry, been in the ring. I hope to be able to, um, through David's eyes and this discussion, provide you all with maybe a different viewpoint to one of just my own, my own sort of uh, lack of educated self, I guess, um, with regards to the actual 
in-ring workings and i hope uh, david and i's discussion uh, is really interesting for you to hear um again i hope that um everyone can jump on the social medias the instagram the facebook and the twitter um find the show at sjp wrestling pod chuck it a follow let us know what you think um see if this is something you enjoy then this is something we can look at doing more of i've, I've got other guests who have been on the show and other guests who are coming up who I've also expressed an interest on reviewing more pay-per-views with me. So if this is something you're interested in or something you enjoy hearing, please let me know. Um, as with anything else, really, whether it's something you like, something you dislike, by all means, let me know. And it helps me shape the show to to what people want to hear. Okay, um, that's enough from me, really. Um, thank you again for pressing the play button. And I hope you enjoy this week's show. Thank you. I am over the moon, absolutely delighted to be welcoming back um, a, a guest from one of the very early SJP Wrestling Podcast episodes. Um, somebody I respect a great deal as a wrestler and somebody I respect a great deal from talking to about wrestling, um, Mr. David Eaton. It's, it's an absolute joy to have you back on. How are you doing, sir? Hello. Thank you for having me back. Hello. My pleasure. My pleasure, Juan Nathan. I'm doing great, actually. Pretty good. Um, despite the continuing COVID, how are you? Yeah, yeah, not too bad, not too bad. It's a, uh, you know, it's a challenge still, isn't it? I mean, it's one thing I was going to ask you about um, before we started looking into our main topic today. Um, the the COVID situation. Last time we spoke, everything was very much locked down. There was no no end in sight. I guess um, shows for yourself had all been called off, and everyone was very much just in limbo. Um, since I last spoke to you a few months back, I suppose we've, we've come out of a lockdown, gone back into one, and now we're kind of half in, half out, depending on where you live, <laughs> I guess. It's a little bit confusing. Um, how, how have things been with yourself? I mean, is there light at the end of the tunnel for you with regards to wrestling? I don't know. I think so. So um, since we last spoke, I think I've I've actually had a wrestling show, which was which was really interesting actually, because um, there's a, a new startup called EVM Wrestling in Evesham in Worcestershire, yes. um, and they just managed to sneak in a socially distant show. They had about thirty fans there um, in this sort of reasonably small venue, but it was it was such an experience to have like a socially distanced wrestling show and i'm kind of glad that they managed to squeeze that in literally the week before we went back into lockdown again um it was a yeah unique thing that probably we'll get to do again i would imagine once we um once we come out of lockdown and into whatever set of restrictions um we end up in sort of after christmas in the new year or whatever um but I think there is light at the end of the tunnel, isn't there? There's the vaccine rolling out and plans seem to be in place for sort of beginning to open things up again. So it's just a case of um, hope for the best, I think, more than anything at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, I had uh, the gentleman who runs the EVM uh, company on a little while ago, um, interviewed him for the show. And that was our main main topic of conversation, really, the show that... You actually you actually wrestled on there in December, I believe it was, wasn't it? And um, yeah, and how we had to figure things out with regards to people who were supposed to be on the show coming back with positive tests, so we had to replace them last minute and making sure the the venue was socially distanced properly. It was an absolutely fascinating discussion. And when that interview is released, I'll, I'll tag you in it so you can have a listen. It's a really interesting 
conversation with how how I suppose the ups and downs and the grief he had trying to get that show on. I guess that's how he's explaining it to me. Absolutely, I think it's like it was quite a surreal experience being there, um, and I have the greatest respect for promoters anyway because I think in a lot of ways it's one of the sort of hardest things in the world to put together a wrestling show, yeah. um, and not something that I'd like to sort of delve into at any point in my future at the very least. I'm perfectly happy being on the performer side, um, but the like everything that goes into a wrestling show um, is enough, right? Is enough of a headache. Um, to get the the venue and the talent and everything organized and in place and safe and ready for a show on a given date with tickets sold and everything. Um, But to do that and also to have concerns about keeping talent safe, making sure they're well and protected and that fans are safe and well and protected and that nobody's like they're at risk of each other Um, on top of that, like, he, he did an astounding job of, of all of that. And when he did have um, issues with um, talent testing positive, super near the show date as well, I, I, like hats off to him for handling that in the way that he did. It was great. Yeah, it's, it's well, no one, it's unprecedented times, isn't it? Every, this, this whole scenario is new to everybody. Um, and, how, and seeing how people are sort of adapting and still managing to get shows out there to entertain people is it is brilliant i spoke with um a gentleman who runs a company in america the uh, ccw company in florida i believe they they have issues with regards from going to from state to state or area to area because different areas in america are very much governed by different laws so whereas they're working um putting a show on in one particular area and everything socially distanced with a mask and that's the law they travel down the road to another city somewhere or or wherever it may be another regional state or however they word it and he's he explained that it was horrific because these people are saying well we don't have to wear a mask our governor says we don't have to and it was a completely different scenario to the show he'd ran the week previous uh, as oh, well wow. adapting in those scenarios again like you said i've got the utmost respect for all the promoters that put on shows anyway but doing it in this this uh era this this sort of this time frame for for everyone he's added challenges are just insane yeah yeah definitely um okay well i mean one of the reasons uh we have you back on today is to look back at um an old pay-per-view um the reason this one particular pay-per-view the the raw rumble 2000 was selected is because when we first spoke on the show back um street back on episode two i believe it is um you mentioned that raw rumble 2000 was one of the first shows you you remember watching is that that's correct the first show yeah i'm pretty sure this was the first wrestling show that i saw um it was on a vhs tape that i borrowed from a friend who had like recorded it off of i don't know if it was sky or channel four or whatever it was on at the time channel four um yeah, and um, let me borrow it, and yeah, that was the start of me in, enjoying wrestling. <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. I mean, it's funny. I've had a few people since I spoke with you say the same thing. That this event was one of the one of the starting points for their fandom. Um, I, I guess because it was accessible uh, for, for a bit of context for anyone listening who's not in the UK. Our, our friends in America who listen, for example, uh, in in the UK, you have paid tv 
services such as Sky and, and BT and uh, Cable, Virgin Media and so on. Um, and they're, they're the sort of your cable TV providers and you pay for the packages. Um, they're not accessible in every home. Some of them are very expensive. And you have sports packages with these and that's where the WWE is well, always has been sort of predominantly shown ever since the the first time it was broadcast in this country. Um, at, in this time period, in 2000, the Royal Rumble 2000 was actually the very first one. Channel 4 in the UK, which is a free-to-air station. Every home has access to it. Every home in the UK has access to Channel 4. Um, struck a deal with the WWE, or WWF as it was then, to carry four or five pay-per-views throughout that year. And also show Sunday Night Heat, um, and it was a, it was a big big deal for the WWF having a platform such as Channel Four. I suppose same as AEW now having a platform with ITV, same sort of principle. It's, it's a it's a free station available in every home, so it was a huge platform for that company. Um, sadly, it soured quickly that that arrangement between Channel Four and WWE. But we'll, we'll get to that a bit later on, I guess. Um, yeah, so we just decided because it was that first that first show that meant a lot to you that we go back and have a little look at it. Uh, roughly 20 years ago, well, this month, January, so. Yeah, that's fascinating, actually. I didn't know that that was the, the first event that was on, on free to air. I mean, I guess that makes sense, and it makes sense why everybody sort of discovered it as their first show in, in that case. But I had no idea. That's actually fascinating. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I was going to sort of um, touch upon it a little bit more when we get into the um, Miss Rumble contest with Mae Young oh, and, and so on, yeah, um, because that's kind okay. of relevant to the topic. But we'll, 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 as soon as you brought it up, we'll, we'll, we'll discuss it now. Um, the first pay-per-view broadcast was was the, the 2000 Royal Rumble that we're talking about today, uh, broadcast on Channel 4. Uh, again, like I said, free to our channel. Anyone can pick up Channel 4, turn it on and, and, and watch it. Um, there's obviously the moment that everyone who has gone back and watched the show or saw it first time round can remember. They have a uh, Miss Rumble 2000 competition where you have numerous ladies come out dressed in typical uh, Attitude Era diva garb, I guess. Um, Some of those swimsuits, man. I'm, oh, <laughs> if yeah, we're talking yeah. about this now, I, I think the less said about this particular segment, the better, particularly in 2020. Yes. But, and some of those swimsuits caught me by surprise. I did not remember those. Um, yeah, and I was watching as a 13-year-old kid at the time. Um, so I guess that's kind of surprising. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, I mean, you had... I mean, it's, it's effectively a swimsuit competition, I guess, but they're effectively dressed more like strippers, to be fair. You know, and, oh, they're and, pretty much naked. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, exactly. The, the like the watching Ivory kind of made me uncomfortable because yeah. like she was doing the gimmick and not wanting to be there, but like either selling it really well or really didn't want to be there. Yeah, I mean, um, you're right. It is uncomfortable because it's almost like she's being pushed into doing this against her will, and that that's not nice to look back on now. I guess you know. I think probably when I first watched this, we skipped this bit because like my parents were probably in the room or something as well. Like that's something we talked about last time, where it was like um, one of the worst things about this era of wrestling was watching it with your parents because there was a lot of um, adult content going on in between the wrestling, which yes. was 
equally adult at times, but like sort of very oriented at um, adult males type content. Um, and yeah, I guess at the time, either like my parents fast forwarded that bit or um, we just kind of looked away from each other and away from the screen and got a bit embarrassed at the time. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. <laughs> but, I mean, you're spot on. Some of the some of the swimsuits, and I use that term very loosely, are absolutely shocking. You, like you said, they are effectively in the nude. Um, and then at the end of the contest, we have the surprise of Mae Young turning up, who at this stage, I'm guessing she was in her late 70s, potentially, maybe even her 80s, um, turning up and effectively exposing her breasts i suppose to try and put a, a sensible term to it i mean she was actually wearing a bodysuit apparently the wwe claimed so she wasn't genuinely topless but okay we watch it back on the network there's big x's and it says censored and everything's blanked yeah. out and so on you actually watch it there and then it wasn't well edited at all and you could effectively see things that you probably didn't want to see this and mark um, henry's in there really selling it as well yeah, trying yeah. to drag her out of the ring. yeah <laughs> i mean may young fair play she's she's she came across like she was always up for anything once you go like powerbomb through tables and all sorts of stuff fair play to the lady but um that that sight of may young effectively topless um waving what she has around for everyone to view live on <laughs> channel four uh, really did not go down well with the with the UK broadcaster. Also, the violence in the table match and the street fight also came as a bit of a shock to Channel 4. Oh, um, really? Yeah, yeah. And then apparently um, some people, I suppose the term would be in the know, I guess, say that already Channel 4 had agreed, not uh, decided from this one event alone, not to renew their contract after the first 12 months just because of what that content was. Oh wow! Okay. Um, the next pay per view they broadcast was Backlash in April uh, to counteract some of the issues that they had with this first um, first experience of WWE television. They broadcast on a fifty minute delay. So that, you know, let's put that into context. It's not a couple of minutes. It's not five, a, nearly an hour delay on on this. So they could edit. Um, they could digitise the blood. They could sort of blank out some of the blood if it happened. Uh, they could cut out bad language and cut out thing, anything they felt unsuitable. Now, bear in mind, in the UK, this is going out at 1 o'clock in the morning, 2 o'clock in the morning, and so on. So it's well past the watershed, but they were still very much anti-broadcasting this sort of thing. There was a big backlash from UK wrestling fans about the show being broadcast on this delay and so heavily edited. And eventually, Channel 4 kind of relaxed a little bit on that but when their 12 month contract ran out they basically just said nope we're not renewing it and everything went back to sky and that was the end of that kind of little experiment so uh, as, as great this as it was so much sorry explains so much sorry this explains so much from my childhood and like when you said it was broadcast on a 50 minute delay i've just got flashbacks in my mind to seeing the little um, TV guides or whatever probably paper TV guides you had in those days with like wrestling on at zero zero fifty. Yeah, like one fifty in the morning. I was like, "That's a really weird time to start an event." Maybe it's like ten minutes before they actually start or something. But no, they're broadcasting on a fifty-minute delay. Of course, yep, exactly. Just to cut out all the boobs and blood. <laughs> this naivety um, that I have to that era is going to be a, a running thread throughout this conversation. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, 
I think it's going to unlock some memories. It should be fun. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, okay. I mean, with that, with, with that sort of covered now, that we don't need to go back and view that any further. I suppose we'll jump back to the the start of the show, shall we? Um, we have the the Royal Rumble 2000. It's coming to us from Madison Square Garden. Very much a, I suppose, mecca or home home turf of WWE and WWF, and of course WWWF before that. It's very much their own their territory when it was all territory days uh we have 19,231 in the garden uh that, that that's a sellout with well over 16 and a half thousand have paid which is a huge number which gives the wwe the first ever time they've taken over a million dollars uh at the gate at madison square garden ever in their history which is quite a quite a big thing i guess in the history of the of the business there and they also take well over $150,000 in merchandise. So, I mean, the numbers are spectacular. It's all guns are blazing for the WWF at this time. Um, even though Stone Cold is, is seen as the golden goose of this era, he is not around due to his uh, neck surgery and, and, and health issues he's having. So he's, he's currently out of the picture. Um, and this pay-per-view is very much built around uh, the, the other the other part of the, the the top two, I guess, with with The Rock. Um, what did you think when you when you sort of pressed play over the last day or so, rewatching this pod, uh, rewatching this pay per view, and seeing Madison Square Garden decked out the way it was with with the entrance way and, and so on for the first time in however many years it's been since since you watched the show. I love Madison Square Garden pretty much solely because you have that camera shot from the back of the room where you're looking down at the entranceway yes and particularly for royal rumbles it's amazing right because they're all coming running out at the camera um but particularly for this one where they had the the entranceway sort of decked out like sort of a back alley kind of thing with the car above it and the road painted on the the floor and all the light stuff littered on the sides and the graffiti coming into yeah. the yeah and the graffiti coming into the first segment with Taz and Angle it made it for me and that Taz and Angle segment is still my favorite part of this event and it's the the one thing that I always remember when I think back on it um, it just stuck in my mind and I think it's such a brilliant piece of pro wrestling I still do yeah yeah I agree I mean Kurt Angle comes out. Um, looking very young, fresh-faced, and still has plenty of hair on his head, and so, um, looks looks in absolutely fantastic shape. Cuts cuts a bit of a promo about um, how New York can take him as their hero, and he's wrestling a um, mystery opponent, isn't he? And by this point, I already hate him. Like thirteen-year-old <laughs> me is sitting watching the TV, like, who is this guy? Yeah, what on earth? Like, he's like a typical american fresh-faced jock coming out being overconfident he's perfectly riding the crowd up there as well um and you just can't wait to see him get beat up and i think that was the moment i really started enjoying wrestling (laughs) (laughs) waiting for angle to get his comeuppance (laughs) yeah he's he's very i suppose he's got he's quite he's quite conceited he's quite arrogant he's quite smarmy in a way um, he's kind of patronising with some of the things he says to the crowd as well. And you're right, he just, he's just watching it and you think, oh, I just hope someone smashes him straight in the mouth really, really soon. Uh, which is, which is, I suppose, the, reaction, the exact reaction he wants, isn't it? Yeah. And when Taz makes his entrance, when he's, when he's unveiled as the mystery opponent, 
the reaction from the crowd is insane. The, 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 the pop from the audience is huge. I mean, before he actually comes out, even though it's a mystery that it's going to be him, they are chanting, we want Taz, certain sections of the crowd. Uh, he's from New York himself, Brooklyn, New York, so he's a hometown boy. Uh, and yeah, it, it, you know, very, very quick match, only, only about three minutes or so, but it, it was really interesting seeing Taz and Angle from 20 years ago. So the the moment that I loved Taz was like his music hits. Um, you get the boop, boop, yeah, boop, boop, and then his music hits, and they kind of pan to the entrance, and it just looks like he's walking through the streets of Brooklyn in that little back alley. And he's just it's just perfect. It's just a perfectly captured little moment, and then he gets in, and he's awesome already, and he starts like kicking Angle's ass. Um, and from that moment, I just started to love Taz as well. Like, they're trading suplexes. It's a perfect little TV match. Um, and, yeah, and it ends in that really special way where, like, you think it's going to be the end of the suplex off the top, but it's not. I don't know if that was meant to be a three count that got cancelled or not meant to be a three count that got cancelled. Um, but then they continue for a little bit longer, and then he locks in the Taz. And, like, Lawler's going, that's a choke, what you're doing, that's illegal. Um, yeah. And JR's going, well, he's out. Um, that's, he lost. Um, and then Angle's selling from that point onwards, and they sell it like a proper injury, and he gets carted out, and it becomes a storyline that carries over as well later in the show. Um and again, panning back to the naive me sitting there, thirteen years old, watching it, I'm like, "What just happened?" <laughs> like, I wanted that guy to get his ass kicked, but did he just get really hurt, or like, because you don't know, like, wrestling's not meant to be real, and you kind of know that at thirteen years old in two thousand, but it was really one of those moments that was just done well that it, like, I bought into it. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, it's something that um, I'm hoping we can sort of get a little insight into that you you may be able to provide, as opposed to other people who look back on shows with me, is obviously being a wrestler yourself, having worked in the ring yourself. Certain moments or or certain um, moves in the ring, I think maybe be able to get a different perspective from you having been there. Um, Taz got in some trouble very early on in his wwf run and was labeled dangerous to a degree by certain people backstage uh, again these are taz's words you know from interviews that i've seen with him because um they had an issue with some of the ways he would suplex people and especially when he would release them and effectively that they'd just be sailing through the air and that was seen as being dangerous he wasn't controlling his opponent very well it's again the words that i've seen taz use on on shoot interviews um years after this event what are your thoughts here now, looking at this in 2020, with the experiences you have? Did you see anything there that you look at and think, well, okay, you need to be a bit careful there? Or is it more dangerous if someone's literally just releasing you in the middle of a suplex than potentially guiding you down or however it works? I mean, as a, as a general point, um, there are various ways to do any particular wrestling move, as long as it's safe 
when you execute it and you're you're not hurting people and you can consistently do something safely and not hurt them mm-hmm. um i never really see an issue with it and i didn't like when watching this back see anything particularly and go all that looked a bit like borderline um but obviously if, if taz says people have pulled him up on it before then maybe there's particular incidents or whatever that that, that relates to um but yeah, in this match, I didn't particularly see... I don't remember seeing anything in that match that kind of made me, like, cringe or wince, not not compared to some of the other stuff that um, that you see later on. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, like, the there's some suplexes that he does that are unique to him that other people don't really do, like the head and arm capture one. Yes. Um, that they did off the top rope. I was like, wow, that's... Um, like, it looked safe as houses when he did it there. Um but you can see how that can go wrong if, like, either one of you isn't completely clued in on, on what you're supposed to be doing with it. Um, and maybe, like, I, I don't know the details of, of those stories, but um, you can see how um, with certain moves that are a little bit different to the norm that sometimes that can happen. And, like, hopefully adults can have the discussion about it and just um, either work to in, improve any flaws or just kind of cut things out that, that they don't feel are safe. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Well, again, that's exactly the, the sort of thing I'm looking for. It's, it's great hearing that insight from someone who, who's more experienced than, well, definitely more experienced than me, and I'd imagine quite a few people who are listening, uh, with regards to in-ring standpoints. Whilst, just whilst we're talking about Taz, actually, um, obviously the biggest, uh, I, I would guess the biggest stumbling block, to, to, use, uh, to, to use a phrase there, for Taz would be his height in, in the WWF. It's been widely acknowledged for many, many, many years as, I suppose, Land of the Giants, I suppose some people call it. Taz is only five foot eight. Um, an interesting thing happening around this time in, in January 2000 was that the, the there's a great there's a group of people in WCW who, who had just been sent their releases from WCW. Um, those include Conan and um, Shane Douglas, who eventually would stay on with WCW for a bit longer. But the others are Dean Malenko, Perry Saturn, Eddie Guerrero, and Chris Benoit, who, who went on to be known as the Radicals in the WWF not long after this. I mean, they debuted maybe end of January going into February. They aren't particularly... Benoit and Eddie Guerrero are the two that I was sort of looking at. They aren't particularly big either. They're quite, you know, very, very athletically fit very muscular gentleman don't get me wrong but height wise they don't compare with some of the, some of the big monsters that they've had in the wwe in the past they then go on to great success and world titles but then fade back into the mid card not long after what do you what do you think about that with regards to size and height in professional wrestling is there a way of having someone like a Taz, who's only five foot eight, being believable and effectively a big money draw, I guess, which that's what everyone wants, isn't it? It's all about the money end of the day. Um, would you, could you see somebody like that headlining pay-per-views on a regular basis for the WWF in the future? I think you only have to look at Daniel Bryan to see that, that it's possible. Um, Daniel Bryan, he's probably around the same height, isn't he? Um, and yeah, became probably so, the closest yeah. thing they had to uh, a, a, a superstar like that that came organic um, that they've had in quite a while, um, but like there, there's advantages and disadvantages to to um, being tall when you're wrestling from a mechanical standpoint. With 
with Taz and his human suplex machine gimmick, like having a lower center of gravity helps you get your hips underneath the person and throw them. So that, like, okay. if you want to look at it from a mechanical or even a kayfabe perspective, I guess the like his height worked to his advantage with his gimmick. Um, but then at the same time, obviously, particularly at the time, and like watching this show back now, like everybody does look big, don't they? Mm. Like if you compare it to watching um, NXT, um, everybody looks like they are large six foot and over human beings that are, that are really built. Um, and like the smaller guys therefore stand out because of it. Um, these days you'll see many more smaller guys in wrestling. I don't like see any particular reason why one of them couldn't become like a big superstar if the stars aligned, but it's the same thing as like a taller guy becoming a big superstar. Like it really has to be sort of that real mix of um, somebody who um, can just stand out and, and capture the attention of not just wrestling fans, but the, the wider mainstream audience as well. Um, and like there's, there's no formula for that. It just kind of has to happen. No, I understand. I, yeah, you make some really good points. I mean, that, that thinking about um, Taz with his no center of gravity, shall we say, like you know, uh, and, and the human suplex machine um, gimmick, that makes that makes so much sense. How you how you explained that there. And I suppose as well when you look at Benoit, again, I think Benoit was five ten maybe. So so no, not not a short individual by any stretch of the imagination. But looking in the world of pro wrestling, especially in the WWF, he's he's not the tallest. He used a great deal of suplexes as well, so maybe that helped with him. And I suppose Guerrero had that incredible charisma, didn't he, that sort of ended up getting people backing him no matter what as well. It's yeah, really they had to have that extra something, didn't they? If they were if they were not like the physical specimen, I mm. think is probably the term that they that, that I, I hear Vince in my head using. Um, <laughs> if they're not the physical specimen, they have to have something else. Don't they? they have to have something to capture the attention of the audience. And with Benoit, it's probably his intensity. Um, yeah. Sorry, it's my rabbit sneezing in the background. No worries. <laughs> um, with Benoit, I think it's um, with Benoit. I think it's probably his intensity. Um, with Eddie, obviously, it's his incredible charisma and and mind for it and things like that. Um, but there's always something special, like particularly in this era, about sort of any of the. Um, the smaller guys who really got pushed to that main event level, there's something really special about them. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Okay, moving on to the next match. We have the Dudleys versus the Hardys in a tables match. Um, before we go to the match itself, we have an interview with the Hardys, who is with Terry Runnels. Um, I, I completely forgot that she was associated with the Hardys when they first started out, and it seemed weird seeing her with them. It just looked odd to me on screen. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so did I. I was like, oh, oh, that was a thing. I didn't remember that at all. Yeah. <laughs> so like, obviously with the Hardys, you just think Hardys and Lita, don't you? Yeah, um, exactly. I don't even know how many years that actually went on for. Like, There's this expanse of time in pro wrestling, which must have only been like three years long, where like The Rock was a megastar, and like the Hardys and Lita were a thing, and like it was all tables tag team matches and stuff, um, which in my mind was like my entire childhood. But like I can I can imagine it probably only lasted what three or four years maximum. 
Um, yeah, well, I mean, Edge won his first world title as a singles in 2005. Oh, yeah, maybe five. And this, but this is when he was like the heel character with Lita, and that's January 2005, so very early. Um, so yeah, you know, you might be accurate there, sort of three to four years, because obviously they, the tag teams would have split and so on before that, I guess. So yeah, I think you're, I think you're pretty accurate there, saying three to four years. But, I mean, what a three to four years it was for tag team wrestling. Incredible. Yeah. Absolutely I mean, with, fantastic. With the match we're seeing here, the rules are basically you need to put both of your opponents through a table to win. Um, and there is some insane moments in this, isn't there? Some quite uncomfortable chair shots as well. Crazy oh, yes, the, oh. the beginning of the chair shots for the evening, um, yeah. which, watching them in 2020, make me intensely uncomfortable. Um, and then there's a moment where... Um, there's a moment where the Dudleys set up the steel steps in the ring and put a table on top of it. Yes. So they can drive Matt through it. That's right. And that, um, that sort of and, that ticks him off the list, I suppose, as yeah. he's eliminated sort of thing, I guess. Yeah. Um, and like they're setting that up and like, oh, my God, he's going to hit the steps. Oh, my God, he's going to hit the steps. Oh, my God, he's going to hit. And then they do it and it's perfect. Um, and he goes to the table and lands safely. And like, but like, for some reason, I have huge anxiety watching these things now. Um, whereas as a kid, I'd have been like, yeah, that was so great. <laughs> this is right. amazing. Um, I think I've ruined wrestling for myself in, in some extent by um, taking part in it. Um, but maybe really it's just, right, maybe it's just being an adult as well that you don't want like, so I don't remember how everything um, in these matches go. You just remember like the key points or right? all the, mm. the, the things that stand out to you. Right. Um, and I didn't remember this moment at all. And I'm like, oh, my God, is he going to, like, get horribly hurt doing this in some way? Um, but no, it was fine. Like, obviously, they're professionals. Um, and there's no reason it wouldn't be fine. But it's an interesting, like, reaction that I had to it that I noticed. Um, and then there's a moment sort of shortly after that as well that is just absolute chaos where I think um, Devon is, like, standing on the outside and... Um, Matt tries to jump off of something to put him through a table and he moves um, and Matt goes crashing through the table and then he like rests against this other table that's leaning against the um, the outside barriers and Jeff just comes out of nowhere and the camera pretty much misses him um, as Devon moves and he just goes crashing what looks like head first through this table into the barrier. I'm like, oh my God, he's dead. Yeah. And I know he's not dead because I know Jeff Hardy's still alive. But I'm like, oh my God, he's dead. Yeah, totally. I mean, that was... Um... <laughs> Uh, Matt came off the top rope all the way to the floor, didn't he? Basically, through a table, um, yeah. and it was—he was trying to do like a, a leg drop, yeah. I think um, yeah, that, yeah. That, that to me is incredible because I, I, if I sit down too quickly, I hurt my arse. <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah know, right? <laughs> and this guy's dropped. Uh, I mean, how, how far is that? That must be—he must be dropping fifteen foot, sixteen foot. Yeah, it, it well, it's at least ten, isn't it? Like if you. Think about it, you're standing on the floor, like wrestling ring, it's yeah, three or four foot of the floor, and then it's like, well, maybe like if he gets a bit of height, it's ten foot. Mm. And then the table will only break your fall so much. So Yeah. <laughs> that's that's not a nice bump. But then Jeff's was even worse looking. Um, yeah, yeah, and you said about him just coming out of nowhere, that's exactly what it was. Just it's just like a flash across the screen for a second, wasn't he? And it's like, it's those moments that that made like that era of tag team wrestling though i guess what it was 
because it was just chaos and carnage and bits of broken things flying everywhere. Um, and it's so exciting to watch, but I can't imagine the price they paid for those few years. That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, there's a few other moments that are worth worth mentioning as well. Um, Jeff Hardy take gives a chair shot to Bubba Ray on the outside that is terrible. It's just yeah. his arms are down by his side and he takes it full-fledged in the head. And then he does this crazy run across the barricade, the crowd barricade, which we've seen him do a few times before, haven't we, where he sort of turns it yeah. into a move as he, as he jumps off. But in the meantime, whilst he's running across the barricade, which is incredible to see anyway, somebody managing to do that and not fall, um, Bubba Ray Dudley has picked up a table and just throws a table at him and hits him straight in the head with it. It's insane. Yeah. But, and then it bounces back and hits Bubba in the head, and like he's selling it, but he's selling it beautifully. Um, mm. But that must have hurt, like yeah. as well, because he throws it and it just ricochets straight back into his face. And I don't know if that was like the metal bit that caught him or the wooden bit that caught him, and like I, I don't know. I wouldn't have wanted to be part of that match. It was just crazy from start to finish. Like the very first spot made me go, "Oh my god!" Because um, they do a backdrop, and instead of moving the table out of the way, I think Matt flips it out of the way. And Jeff comes, like, a foot from being impaled on one of the legs of the table. Yeah. And I'm just like, yeah, this is going to be this is gonna be scary the entire through. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, the, the thing as well, with, with Bubba Ray and Devon, I saw it was Matt Hardy as well, you see they're kind of... I mean, there's no way of doing it that is going to not hurt. But you can see they're sort of... To my untrained eyes, I guess. They're falling through a table in a certain way. And Bubba Ray, when he takes the big bump at the end off the balcony, you can see he's kind of doing it. He's doing it in a way that's familiar to my eyes, if that makes sense. Whereas if you look at yeah. Jeff, he's got arms and legs flailing everywhere. He's just he's going through things hip first, shoulder first, head first, sideways. It's just, he's a crush test dummy, isn't he? He's just, you know. <laughs> yeah. I I think he just has no regard for he had or had no regard for his own well being at the time, just like um but it's like it's incredible to watch, isn't it? Like yeah. with with Bubba's bump off the balcony, like there's the, the spectacle of the, the tables stacked on top of tables, which um obviously I've never had any reason to even think about taking that bump. Um, well, that was something I was gonna ask like, you actually if you have any experience of doing this, yeah. <laughs> Um, I never really planned to. I've never really been like a um, a weapons wrestling guy, you mm-hmm. know that. Um, but like each day will break your fall to an extent. Um, but like you're still falling from a height through some tables onto what is effectively concrete at the bottom. Yeah. Um, it it can't be pleasant um, either way. And then the the match finishes. Obviously, Bubba takes that um, bump through the tables, and then. Um, Jeff does the swanton from the balcony. Looks like he crushes Devon on the way down through the table, um, and then Matt like immediately picks him up to go and celebrate in the ring. And like again, he's selling, um, but he's selling it so well, and I can't imagine how much like pain they must have been in by that time from all the random carnage that they'd just been through. Yeah, um, but it's, it's incredible to watch. Incredible. It is. I mean, it's amazing as well with how we're describing this and, and the, the, the stunts and the spots and the moments we're talking about here. And, and there's plenty there that we haven't covered as well. 
that it was only just over 10 minutes. They fitted, they managed to fit so much in to a relatively short period of time, considering what they were doing, I think. And it's just yeah. 100 miles an hour excitement from the, from bell to bell. I, I really enjoyed this match. I thought it was great. Fantastic. Um, after that, the next contest, well, after that, the next contest is actually the Miss Rumble uh, silliness, but we won't go back. Yeah, moving on. <laughs> yeah, we won't go back to that. Um, yes, the next actual wrestling match we have is for the Intercontinental Championship. We have Chris Jericho, who is co-champions with China, where they've had a, a kind of messy, schmozzy finish to a match in the past, and they're both they're kind of both declared as champion for a short period here against um, Hardcore Holly in a triple threat. Um, Jericho eventually wins the contest to become sole champion. Um, one of my first thoughts here when, when this contest started was Bob Holly looks absolutely jacked. He looks, he looks ripped. <laughs> <laughs> he looks incredible in this, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, fresh as a daisy. His drop kicks are amazing. Oh, that's another note um, I've got here. Waller drop kick, yep. Yeah. Like, he's known for him, isn't he? Um, um, but, like, every time you see one, you, you have to applaud it. They're amazing. Um, I thought there were some really nice moments in this match. Um, particularly the... Um, they set up for the superplex, um, and both guys got hung up and then just did the superplex. Um, and, like, the, the finish was pretty smart in the end. Um, like with Jericho sort of having the ref distracted until the moment where he could take advantage of it. Um, I thought it was a fun little match. I enjoyed it. Apparently there's a moment in the match, according to Jericho, um, listening to one of his podcasts, and I think Jim Ross might have mentioned it as well on on one of his podcasts, um, that that, that that Jim Ross explains it as China would like things explained out step by step she wasn't very good at sort of improv in the ring to, to quote jim ross this is the, the obviously not my okay. words is um and there was a moment where jericho kind of lost his way um I, I looked out for it when i was watching it back i couldn't find it i don't know if it's been edited from the network because they do tend to do a lot of that now but okay. apparently there's a moment there's footage out there whether it's on youtube or whatever i'll see if i can track it down and then and, and share it on on the the show's twitters where Jericho kind of loses his way. China's stood there with her back to him. And you can quite clearly, apparently, hear Hardcore Holly letting Jericho know um, what to do next. Because Jericho's lost his way. Oh. And apparently he screams, effing bulldog her, dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, lo- I'm really looking forward to trying to track that down. And if I can sample it to have it as my text alert on my phone, I'm going to do is, that. Is that the very end? Because does he not yes, do he does well the, um, the bulldog and the lion's horn as the finish, right? When she's got him in the... Um, she got him in the walls of Jericho, didn't she? That's right, yeah. And then she goes, bulldog, lion's horn, finish. Um, yeah. So it could be there. Maybe I've, I'll watch it back. That's what, I was looking, that's what I was looking back on today, having remembered this little bit that Jericho and um, Jim Ross had mentioned on, on previous podcasts of theirs. Just because it's... You know, the the impressions that um, Jericho especially did of Hardcore Holly in a, in a sort of southern accent he put on just <laughs> effing bulldog or damn it oh, just tickled me <laughs> just tickled me but, I mean Chris Jericho the guy's an absolute star even here isn't he you can just look at him and think why look at this bloke he's just different class yeah he's fantastic like one of my favourites from, from that era as well he was from like 
probably pretty much everybody I would imagine, just because he's so entertaining. Like, yeah. Pretty much. Everybody. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, I said Jericho um, wins the contest and is the sole IC champion here. Um, following that match, we go backstage and we have the first sighting of the, well, who, the, a gentleman who's gone to be an absolute megastar. Uh, the Rock, and he's cutting a little interview here with, was it Michael Cole he was with, or was it the coach on this occasion? Briefly with Michael Cole, I think, wasn't it? And then he sacks off Michael Cole and he's over by himself, oh, as yes. he often does. And that's what the coach was at um, the WWF restaurant, wasn't he, in New York? And he, he was yeah. there around it. Yeah, that's right. I mean, that's a bit disappointing, isn't it? You, you see the cuts of these, all, all respect, due respect to Jonathan Coachman, but you see these cuts to the restaurant from other pay-per-views and the big show is there and Shawn Michaels is there imagine going along <laughs> to this one and you're excited as to who you're going to get and you've got Jonathan Coachman walking around with a microphone I'd be a little bit disappointed but no, there we go <laughs> I don't know Coach was a bit of a star back in the day wasn't he well yeah yeah, yeah that little run where in he, his own way where he was wrestling as well didn't he? Was he didn't he face off against Jerry Lawler on a pay-per-view at some stage oh they've had all the commentators do something at one point or another haven't they yeah Michael Cole is uh, undefeated at Wrestlemania Less said about those, the better as well, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Um, In The Rock's interview here, there's a little line that that stood out that really tickled me. He's asked um, about what he thinks his chances are in the Rumble match later and and who he should be looking out for as as potential threats, I guess. And he says that if he can avoid headbanger Mosh and Crash Holly, he thinks he has a good chance. (laughs) Just really, I don't know why, but it just really tickled me. Yeah, because it, it comes across as absurd, right? But it also gets those guys' names out there a little bit. I think it's like, and he's not doing it to like crap on those people. I think he's doing it to to kind of have a humorous moment, where yeah. um, but also to to make sure people kind of like look out for him because they'll be there. Yeah, I mean, we'll come to uh, we'll come to the headbangers shortly when they enter the rumble and their interesting attire. Um, after we send the rock, we get another tag team match. This time it's for the the championships, the WWF Tag Team Championships, and we have the New Age Outlaws, Billy Gunn and Road Dogg, defending against the Acolytes, who eventually obviously became the APA, of Bradshaw and Farouk. Very short contest here, less less than three minutes from bell to bell. Um, My first thought was that two things that stood out when the New Age Outlaws were making their entrance to the ring was, one... I love those tag team title belts. I'm a bit of a belt geek, and I love those old WWF tag team championship belts. And it looked like Big Gun had borrowed my 13-year-old daughter's choker, the sort of <laughs> necklace thing he was wearing. That was a little bit of an odd odd clothing choice, but each to their own, I guess. I didn't um, notice that. How did I not notice that? It's quite oh. an interesting, you know, the, the sort of rubbery it goes tight around your neck sort of in it oh interesting my, my 13 year old daughter and my 10 year old daughter would definitely both wear one put it that way so, <laughs> so, <laughs> um not much really to go on here such a short contest i mean the, the clothesline from hell from bradshaw looked impressive as it always does as, as a guy who's got extensive tag team experience what did you think of this this quick short contest I enjoyed it. Like, to get a tag team match in in three minutes isn't the mm. easiest job in the world. And I think it was chaos in its own different little way without being destruction at the same time. Like, the um, it really picked up again towards the end as well with X-Pac coming in, um, interrupting, and then Billy Gunn coming in from the outside. Uh, 
there's a thing that I had to rewatch because I thought Farouk was just standing around at the end. Um, so Expat comes in, does the wheel kick on Bradshaw, some other stuff happens. I think Farouk takes him out. Um, and then Billy Young comes in from the outside and does the fame answer on Bradshaw. It looks like Farouk just walks off. But Farouk walks off, and then at the ropes, you've got um, Road Dog holding his leg. Yes. And that's the reason the three count can happen. Um, and I thought like, the camera sort of missed it, but I thought that was like really well like coordinated by them, really. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Like, at first glance, it kind of looks like he's just milling about, doesn't it? And he could stop the count if he wanted, but he's obviously being prevented by Road Dog sort of just out of shot from certain angles, isn't he? Yeah, exactly. So he went to he essentially went to grab Road Dog, I think, and he just grabbed his legs. Um, but that's it's all they needed to do um, to to tidy it, like to to kind of make sure that Farouk, like he was just making sure Farouk couldn't break up the pin. But like when I first saw it, because the camera missed it, I was like, why didn't he break it up? Damn. Um, but yeah, no, it was good. I I enjoyed it. I thought like I I enjoy quick matches sometimes more than I enjoy sort of longer matches because you it's just all action, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Um, with regards to that, then that that finish we've seen there, again, someone such as yourself who's, who's got a decent amount, a very good amount of tag team experience, how difficult is that to get the timing right there? I mean, the reason I ask is because we see that finish done there well with Farouk not able to break up the count and so on. But I've also gone back for other shows in in the last month or two and been viewing a lot of early 90s WCW. And I don't want to be seen as picking on the guy, but um, Stevie Ray from Harlem Heat for two pay-per-views in a row kind of missed times when he's trying to get in the ring and break the count up. It's going, it's going to be going to the three count, but he arrives too early. And on one pay-per-view in particular, I think it was Halloween Havoc 93, there was a six-man opener there. He's literally stood above his brother getting pinned and does nothing, and it kind of looks a bit daft. I mean, how yeah. how difficult is that? Because I suppose if you go a second too early, you have the Stevie Ray issue that I witnessed at Halloween Havoc. If you go a second too late, it, you might not get picked up on, or, or how yeah, difficult. And then the is referee that? has to cover or something. Yeah, there's, there's um, in a standard tag match right. There's five people, and they need to know what's going on uh, uh, pretty much all times. Um, you've got your, your two tag teams, the Devil and the Referee. Um, so keeping everyone on the same page isn't always super easy, um, particularly if um, you're doing something that is um, a little chaotic or all like um, out of the ordinary or whatever, like making sure that everybody um, is in the right spot at the right time for the right thing, like often takes like practice or just repetition um okay. to be able to get it to a point where you're not having to like cover for each other maybe um and there is kind of a real art to it and i don't want to talk it up too much like at the end of the day it's like everybody has their thing that they need to do um and you just it's just on you to do it um but you like essentially you're trying to avoid that situation at the end of a match where it looks like somebody could have break it up but didn't um for whatever reason because it just makes them look a bit daft like you say um and you don't want to be too late and then need to break it up because that makes the referee look a bit daft and then like all of that stuff individually like has an impact on the ability for the crowd or the people at home watching it to kind of suspend their disbelief and and really get into what's going on um 
and obviously if you're invested in a match um and like it's coming at that point at the end where you're like oh you're either like i really want this to be the three count or i really don't want this to be the three count um and something jarring happens it can take out of the rest of it completely um so avoiding it is like it these guys are professionals they do it day in day out like there's there's like accidents happen or whatever or you mistakes happen but like for the most part they'll they'll get it right 10 times out of 10 um but coordination and, and practice and repetition i guess yeah that makes sense i suppose it's like anything isn't it the more you do it the better you get in theory i guess Okay. If you treat it like it's real and react as well, then you like you know um, if like you want to be breaking up a pin or not because your team wants to win, right? So if you can, you should be trying to break it up. And um, it's always nice to if you can be able to be in that mindset um, when you're out there performing because it it helps if if you are in the mindset of believing then it helps everybody else to be in the mindset of believing yeah definitely I'm I I suppose all wrestling fans are it's not unique just to Miss South or or people I watch with but the whole suspension of disbelief is is a big thing for me especially when I watch with my daughters and if I'm took out at the moment for any reason it it does it is quite frustrating from a fan's standpoint for for me personally I guess Um, and I also at times wonder has my daughter noticed that because she still very much believes so i kind of want to keep that upheld as long as possible i know what you mean she's 11 next week so time's running out i think but it's um, <laughs> i would be I, I would be more upset about her learning that wrestling is a work shall we say than her learning at father christmas the wrestling thing is going to upset me <laughs> you know so yeah <laughs> Like, uh, and this is the thing, isn't it? Like, I always, uh, on a personal note, I always think the best crowds are the ones that um, are either a lot of families or just a lot of people who are just really into, like, the storylines or the matches or the the stories you're trying to tell in whatever way. Um, Because they are, therefore, invested in the outcomes. And when you've got people who are invested in the outcomes or investing in the rules being followed or the the story conclusion that they want to see, then you get people who are genuinely excited about the outcomes of the matches. And that's when you get, like, the sort of reactions that... that um, give you goosebumps and stuff, and that's really cool. Yeah, definitely. And then reactions are, to me, a great deal of what it's all about. Uh, sort of drawing emotion and reaction out of people. I mean, on one occasion that stands out to me in particular is watching yourself wrestle um, with the Heritage City Hitmen. And I've told you plenty of times in the past, I'm a big fan of your work. I, I love watching you wrestle. So I'm, I'm sort of half stood up on my chair at the back. Cause it, I believe it was in like a. Um, Church, uh, school in Churchstone that was putting on a show there and I sort of oh, half right. stood up at the back and started applauding and my youngest child who you know obviously you're doing your job correctly because she couldn't stand you so she <laughs> <laughs> she's literally grabbing my hands and trying to pull my hands down so I can't clap you so you've got the reaction oh, from my daughter there that, that I guess you want so <laughs> that sort of thing I, I, yeah. I, I love that that's wonderful I love watching the, 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 the kids and, and so on and people's reactions to to stuff live, to stuff on the television. That's the kind of thing you want. It's genuine emotion, genuine, like, 
reactions that, that are really the the um, stuff that that makes me at least want to to kind of keep going out there and doing some wrestling and and kind of generating more of those moments because um, it it just feels special. It's it's great. It's sort of one of the one of the simplest theatrical art forms in the world in 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 sort of the storytelling sense you're just telling the story of someone trying to win and someone trying to lose um but it's sort of how you go about that and and the, the various things that kind of surround that that really kind of make each thing unique yeah definitely definitely okay then i suppose speaking about reactions and emotions um shall we get on to what i think is the real reason we're here the street yeah. fight between Cactus yeah. Jack and Triple H for the WWF title. Absolutely. This was a thing, right? This is oh. one of the more intense sort of 20 minutes, however long it was, um, I've sat through um, in quite a while. Like, watching this act, there's so much that um, I probably didn't appreciate as a teenager watching it. Um, and just thought it was super cool and i don't know how they're pulling off all this fake blood and stuff right because it can't be real right? because like triple h is bleeding all over himself for like 15 of the 20 minutes or yeah. whatever and like there's what's that like barbed wire on a piece of wood and oh the um, reaction that got as well that's but when the um barbed wire two by four came out um, it got a bigger reaction from the crowd than some of the wrestlers coming out in the Rumble. Yeah, yeah, it did. Because, I, I, I mean, I don't know. Um, like I say, this is my my first wrestling event. I definitely didn't know at the time whether this was a normal thing um, right. in <laughs> pro wrestling. And, like, I I feel like, um, like I don't really have a lot of context around it. Because, like, I've gone back and watched, like, late 90s early 2000s again in the past but i've not watched it all all the way through um like they did such a good job of of telling you the story that led up to it um through the video just as they always do like the the wwf video packages wwe video packages are always fantastic at at kind of recapping those stories particularly in that era as well um and as a kid watching it particularly, like I, they were the only way I knew what was going on in any of them. So I guess they knew that they had to be spot on with them. Um, cause I wasn't seeing raw or SmackDown on a weekly basis. I was literally just watching the pay-per-views like 12 times a year and a bit of Sunday heat. Um, so like the video package where like they show the run up, um, man kind feel like, Oh, Okay, but you're not wrestling Mick Foley, you're wrestling Cactus Jack. Um, like, I didn't know who Cactus Jack was watching this for the first time, but I knew he was a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just thought it was all done so well. And then I, the match starts, and it's brutal from the get-go. And they're going outside, and people getting hit with the ring bell and they're going through tables, sort of. The table doesn't really collapse, and it looks worse for it somehow. Um, And then Triple H gets 
his leg cut and then he gets cut in the heads and he's bleeding everywhere and he's doing this he does this amazing sell at one point i don't know if it stood out to you but it really stood out to me where he's like selling against by the ring he's like almost falling out of the ring holding on um and instead of like putting his head forward he like tilts it back so his blood like drips down his chest yeah um it's like awareness and like that i guess that that really makes him the the amazing performer that he is to kind of be able to generate those visuals that kind of stick with you of this this brutal like it's a street fight it's a fight isn't it Hmm. it's not a wrestling contest not not at all um but i i remember sitting and watching this as a kid and being like wow this is violent and i think my parents are sitting there a bit uncomfortable they're letting a 13 year old watch like a guy bleeding everywhere while another guy like hits him with a barbed wire bat and stuff. <laughs> I was like you really want to watch this son yeah yeah i really want to yeah this is cool <laughs> this is really great um now i'm watching it and i'm seeing the chair shots and i'm going oh god please don't do that please don't do that and now i know i'm old um but it's it's a spectacle yes it's, um, I don't want to see people do it ever again, but um, it's got its moment in history, I suppose, isn't it? And yeah, definitely. The um, the whole Cactus Jack McFoley storyline around this time, I, I think, is is brilliant. Him, him, and Triple H that they have this contest here. Um, obviously, he's been wrestling him as Mankind. And you say there that when he did the reveal of he's going to be Cactus Jack. You were unsure, you didn't really know who Cactus Jack was. I was very much the other way. Cactus Jack was, uh, and the Mick Foley persona, Cactus Jack was my guy. I loved Cactus right. Jack. From watching WCW when it was on ITV back in the early 90s. Okay. Um, you had WCW Worldwide that used to be shown around the same time as Baywatch and Gladiators and all that sort of stuff. Bullseye and all, you know, that sort of Saturday afternoon viewing. Yeah. It was like their version of Velocity or Heat, I guess. Um, but then, as I got older, you had you could buy tapes in, in the city centre. There was a dingy, smelly little shop next to a barber's down an alleyway in Gloucester. And I, it rank, it was rank, mind. It smelled of damp. Why anyway. are the video stores always unkempt? Yeah, it, it, was, it was gross. I, I remember them. I remember the smell of them. <laughs> yeah, you walk in, it smelled, it smelled damp. It smelled like mould. You know? <laughs> but you used to go there and you'd be able to buy vhs tapes and then and then have them for a while and he would buy them back off you or he would buy other tapes so effectively you were tape trading with a guy who was running this little secondhand store he had like a load of lp records in the corner so i used to flick through and pick out some old albums and then get me wrestling tapes and so on um i started getting some of foley's work from his time in japan a couple of bits from ecw Uh, not intentional i was just picking up these tapes that were cheap and they they'd i'd buy say uh, i don't know i'd buy something like master of puppets by metallica uh, on vinyl from there and i'd have th- like two or three pound left and this cassette was two or three pounds so i just bought it because it fitted into what i had left in my pocket money when i was a kid or as i got a bit older as well um so i'll end up watching these foley matches sort of by accident i guess so when he did the whole reveal on smack that episode of smackdown of cactus jack because i weren't a massive mankind fan 
when he first went through that character because I saw him as Cactus Jack and it was brutal and the ear getting ripped off against Vader and all this sort of stuff. But when he revealed that Cactus Jack, I, it, honestly, that, I remember watching that 20 years ago and thinking, why is Cactus Jack? <laughs> you know, and, and being like super right. excited. So let's, let's flip this one then. Um, did this live up to your expectations as someone who knew Cactus Jack and knew what he was capable of from those past matches did did it fit the bill yeah i think so i think so with cactus jack it's not i suppose it's not any anything specific he does it's just the insane style of it i guess it's more of a okay. um as opposed to a potential particular move set or anything like that it's more of a attitude i guess i'm, I'm, I'm sort of struggling for the words a little bit to explain what i mean but he would take silly bumps as Cactus Jack, and obviously he did the same as Mankind in the WWF, but when he was Cactus Jack, he there's a famous match with Vader where he would get Vader to bust him open properly and draw blood from, from above his eyes with punches as opposed to... Yeah you know working at it i guess he got vader to he, he was like almost in a piggyback position on vader and got vader to drive him onto the floor with vader on top of him in the hope that he can get uh. in, in the hope that he can properly get injured and cash in an insurance <laughs> policy because that's how miserable people were in gw in 1993 um, some real and it was all barbed wire and explosives and terry funk and all this crazy stuff so seeing him with again with barbed wire the blood and so on here yes it ticked a lot of the boxes it's very WWF-esque of that but it does tick a lot of the boxes and, and Foley was I think he was in great shape here he was, he's, he's never going to be a, a, a super tri- slim slim trim gym is he but here he looks quick he looks sharp he looks fairly lean in comparison to other times we might have seen him he just looks in really good shape yeah, and it's the cat like it's all character as well, isn't it? Like it's never say die. Mm-hmm. Like gets hit with some of the most heinous stuff you'll ever see, and is up and walking again within minutes, um, yeah. and fighting, and like the 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 infamous getting handcuffed and hit the chair thing which i never ever ever want to see anyone do ever oh again. that was the, the previous uh, year against the rock is that the one you mean or the one here he does it again here yeah. like they he handcuffs him they go outside triple h cracks him with a chair on the outside uh, and then rock comes in and cracks h with the chair um and the police officer undoes the handcuffs yeah um, that's right then they head back in and, and work towards the finish. But, like, viewing now is very different, knowing what we know these days. Yeah, um, of course. With um, concussions and all that sort of stuff. And you never want to see it again. But, like, again, it's... I don't want to see anyone fall off the top of a hell in the cell again either, really. Like, the way that he did. I don't want to... Yeah, like, he is very much someone who made a living out of wrecking his body and like i i appreciate at the time how amazing i thought it was um viewing it again it makes me feel a bit uncomfortable um and i was i was prepared for that one to make me feel a bit uncomfortable i think um the things that stood out to me at the very end was um the pedigree on the tap 
Yeah. Um, for the finish, Triple H doesn't let go of the arms. No, so his face is hitting. So his face just goes straight into the tap. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, like he, like, he obviously wanted that to, to take it that way. Like, it's, it's totally Mick Foley thing to do. Um, but it's just, like, amazing and crazy how far they, they push themselves to entertain people. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, after this, the, the, the whole, like I said, Mick Foley, Triple H storyline around this time is superb. Because after this, they go to No Way Out in February. And basically, Foley saying, I know I can beat you. I want, I want another chance. Triple H saying, well, why should I give you another chance? I've already beaten you. So Foley puts his career on the line to try and tempt Triple H into one more, one more match. And they fight um, within Hell in a Cell. And it's in Bloodbath. It's a bit shorter than this one, but there's tack bumps and, and so on. I believe there's a moment where there's fire involved as well. It's just more insanity involving these two. Foley ends up having to effectively you know, retire because defeated there. But then he's brought back by Linda McMahon to be in the main event of WrestleMania in, in the four-way there with The Rock, Big Show... Uh, and Triple H, which is a nice moment because he's, he's basically he's been brought back at the time for one last match and the main event WrestleMania, which is something he wanted to do ever since he was he was a child. So it's a lovely sort of sentimental sentimental moment there for Mick Foley getting that opportunity, I guess. But this match here is is just insane. Some of the chair shots and Triple H was thrown into a stack of bricks. They're obviously not legit bricks but it still looked very uncomfortable and <laughs> it was super i don't know i wouldn't put it past him to use legit bricks back then yeah 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 yeah, yeah potentially. i don't know I, I i don't know i don't know but like um the 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 tax were real um the like i don't know if i don't know what they do with barbed wire i've never like i say i'm not a hardcore wrestler i've never been involved in it like um i'm sure it's possible to blunt it off whether they did or not um, it's some use rubber, so it's a rubber right. barbed wire. So it's not um, as bad. It's not going to cut you properly or anything like that. Interestingly enough, as well, around this time, ECW had ran shows um, in New York in in areas around around that same place, and the state commission, the New York State Commission, had basically told ECW they were banned from using barbed wire oh, because, of its, really? because of its graphic content. This is before the WWE, WWF go there and have this match and use barbed wire themselves. But they were told it was okay because apparently the, the, the head of the state commission or potentially a New York judge there was a very close friend to Linda McMahon and other people involved high up in WWE. So he kind of let them get away with it but told ECW they were not allowed which wow. is kind of kind of <laughs> odd, isn't it? But yeah, that's the, the, politics for you. <coughs> excuse me, I do apologise. Yeah, definitely. And it's all very shady goings on, isn't it? But uh, yeah, barbed wire <laughs> with certain companies. Um, as far as I know, uh, they sometimes use rubber barbed wire. And when I've seen these matches out in Japan, some of the crazy stunt stuff that, that we used to go on out there in the nineties, especially that was legit barbed wire they'd be using there. There, you'd see it stick into their skin and the ropes would be replaced with barbed wire and they'd get tangled up and have to get cut out and, and quite graphic, horrible, horrible stuff there. But 
I'm assuming this here is maybe, like you said, blunted off or partially yeah, like rubber I, or something. I don't, I don't think it's, well, I don't know, um, is the short answer. And the only people who know are the people doing the production. Um, there are moments where it gets caught in the, um, the vest of um, Cactus Jack and stuff yeah. that suggests that it, like, it's not likely to be rubber, but maybe it's just um, as safe as possible as they use the real deal. Mm. Um, but, yeah, it, it, like that kind of stuff sort of interests me in a morbid curiosity way, but never in a I want to do this way. So I've never really looked into it. <laughs> no, no, I understand. It's it's almost like how does the magician tricks, I guess, isn't it? You kind of yeah. want, you kind of want to know how did that work, I guess. Yeah, I know, I know where you're coming from. Um, ultimately, after just over 26 minutes, Triple H retains the championship here with a pedigree onto the Fantax, as David mentioned. A horrific sight because they're stuck all around his eye and so on afterwards, but I mean, I enjoyed this, ultimately. It's, I don't mind this style, but again, I wouldn't want to watch it all the time. Um, but I am with you completely and with regards to some of the chair shots. That now, again, now what we know, it is quite uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I suppose that brings us to, I guess, the main event of the show, or the dual, the, the, the dual main event with the Street Fight, the Royal Rumble match itself. We're told... Early on, as they're desperately trying to clean the ring of all the thumbtacks and filling, you know, <laughs> trying to get it all sorted before the entrance come down, um, we're told that it's 90 seconds this year, the gap between the end, the competitors entering. Um, there obviously goes to WrestleMania uh, to challenge what looks like Triple H at the moment, having just beaten Mick Foley there. Um, I, I'll be honest with you, I, I thought this Royal Rumble was okay, but I've seen much better what were thoughts yeah i thought they were enjoyable parts to it i um the beginning was pretty cool i thought like they had um they had d'lo and um grandmaster sexy in there yeah um and that was my introduction to too cool who i see a lot thereafter on like sunday night heat and stuff and really enjoyed um and i thought I mean, not so much when he first came out, but by the time that sort of Rikishi came out and they had that moment where Rikishi kind of like cleaned for a bit and then they had like a, a slightly awkward stare down and commentators were like, oh yeah, these guys are friends um, and stuff. And then Scotty comes out and they do the dance bit and he like double crosses them, throws them out, but they're still friends. They do the little like finger yeah, thing. It was like a fist bump. Yeah. But, like, with, with Without fingers. the whole fist. <laughs> Yeah, um, I thought that was just a really cool moment. Like, and it's those moments in Royal Rumbles that I tend to really enjoy. Like, the format itself um, sometimes gets a bit like drawn out and formulaic. Um, you're like, okay, like I'll, I'll get excited for a few surprises and like, but like, there's often dull moments in between where everyone's just kicking a punch and no one can get eliminated. Otherwise, the ring would be empty too soon. Yeah, um, but. There were some nice moments there. Um, I thought Rikishi looked really good um, coming out of it, like the moments with Viscera um, as well, where they had like the big Hoss standoff. Um, <laughs> Those are two big fellas, aren't they? Yeah, aren't they just? Um, and I love like moments like that as well, where you've got like two big guys just duking it out. Um, so that was a really cool like couple of minutes. 
Um, and then it kind of settled into that Royal Rumble pattern um, thereafter for a bit. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I agree. I mean, the, the, the comment that you make about Rikishi looking good, um, he actually had the most eliminations in this Royal Rumble, which is seven. The, the next to him, I suppose, is The Rock himself, the eventual winner, who had four. So he's elimination-wise um, uh, head and shoulders above everyone else. This is coming into the time when... Obviously, Austin is missing at the moment because of his, his net health issues that we spoke about earlier in the show. Storyline-wise, he's been written out by being hit by a car at Survivor Series the previous year. And people are all guessing who hit him with the car. It does eventually come out that it was Rikishi who did it. And they're building him to be involved in the main event picture sort of throughout the rest of the year. He he takes part in a few title matches towards the end of the year. Armageddon in December, for example. So they're trying to build him into something else, I guess. Maybe that's why he had such a good showing. Um, looking down the list of the people in in the match... Uh, and of course, I mean absolutely no disrespect to anyone here, but I feel it's kind of it's kind of lacking star power, really. I mean, to me, it's I remember at time watching back in two thousand and rewatching now for, for our conversation today. It's obvious who effectively is going to win. It's it's The Rock, or as an outsider, potentially The Big Show. There's no sort of grey areas where sometimes you look at maybe three or four potential winners um, and then you again like I say you go down the list there's you're lacking I suppose star power to a degree with, with big chunks of the entrance here does that make sense? Yeah definitely I think the um, they kind of telegraphed it a little bit because The Rock had the interview where he was talking about the Royal Rumble and I don't remember maybe I missed one when I was watching about one or two but I don't remember many other people having an interview about whether they were going to win the Rumble or not there wasn't um and that was like it struck me as pretty unusual but i guess i never really paid that much attention um but yeah it it felt like the rock was the big deal going into this um and likely to become the the title challenger coming out of it um but that doesn't um mean that um i wasn't interested like, there were lots of, like, cool little moments. Um, there was a point during the middle of the Rumble where it just became a big low-blow fest. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, everyone was just, like, going to the nearest guy and punching him in the nuts. Um, and that made me chuckle for a bit. Um, and then it kind of picks up again and really, like, properly, I think, um, at the point The Rock comes in, doesn't it? Um, yeah. he comes in kind of has a really short like fiery moment and then gets cut back down again and then the big show comes in and becomes like between those two and they're selling that story it's between those two who's going to win um, and then like you're like oh who might be like is there someone else prize entrance towards the end and then like the godfather comes out and I'm like oh yeah the godfather exists I, I popped um, for this I, I got into this when he came out um, just whenever I hear that guy's... There's two, I suppose, from this era that are very, very of this time. When you hear the... Meow, meow, at the beginning of The Godfather, you know. <laughs> I, I, for some reason, I just get really... I just think, oh, brilliant. And the other one is when you hear the Hello Ladies for Val Venus. I don't know yeah. why, but I'm just like, oh, excellent, great. I, you know, I, I, for some reason, that really resonates with me. I don't know if it's... Just such identifiable characters, aren't they? And yeah. I had the same thing for Val now you mention it and um, to a lesser extent Al Snow as well just because they're such 
great identifiable characters that like as soon as their music hit, i was like oh it's this hey i'd forgotten that this guy was in this i don't know um, that, i don't know how that reflects upon upon me morally i suppose if i'm <laughs> if, if if a porn star and uh, a pimp are super over with me i don't know but there we go <laughs> <laughs> i guess that's the i'm talking about weird fashion choices like fishnet shirts um were pretty all the rage in the the early 2000s i think christian had one on Mosh yeah. <laughs> the headbangers had one on under his giant green madonna cones or whatever they oh, were Oh yeah what was that like great big green furry boobs he had on what what was going on yeah. there? i have no idea they were a thing they weren't they <laughs> yeah very odd and they were talking about his he and the other headbanger having this rock this rock alternative lifestyle I'm not being funny. Yeah. I'm I'm a huge heavy metal and hard rock fan. I have never worn big green fake fairy boobs. So I don't <laughs> see I don't see why that's relevant. You know, it's, and I've been to numerous concerts and festivals. I've not seen anyone else wear them either. You know? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I I'm not one to judge. Um, I thought they were pretty entertaining, nonetheless. Yeah. Um. The the finish is, I suppose, quite well known now that the um the big show. It's about to throw the rock over the top rope, um, but both both wrestlers kind of stumble over. The rock holds onto the top rope to put himself back in, and the big show is eliminated. What you don't actually see is that the rock's feet touched first. Oh, really? Yeah, the rock's feet touched first. They're already on the arena floor when the big show went over. Um, uh, they, this... they got a good camera angle on the network for that one where they don't show it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, they do end up kind of writing this into the storyline, however, with the big show declaring that the Rock's feet touched first. They go to the month's pay-per-view, which is No Way Out, and have a match to decide who's going into the main event at WrestleMania. Um, you end up at Mania that year, WrestleMania 2000 or WrestleMania 16, to give it its numerical order, with the four-way there of Foley coming back for one last time, Triple H as champion. The Rock and the Big Show because of the controversy with the Rumble in this elimination four-way main event. And that, I think, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, people on Twitter out there, but that, I think, is the first time um, Heel, the, the bad guy, has left WrestleMania with the championship because all this build-up, all these street fights, no DQs, Raw Rumbles, um, Hell in a Cell matches, McMahon in every corner, all the build-up for it. There's no time. Triple H still walks out as champion after all that. So I think it's the first time a heel has left Mania as the world champion, actually. Interesting. All these facts, I have no idea. Um, but they, they're super interesting, actually. That's so 16 years it took for a uh, as a champion. Yeah, I believe so. I believe so. I'll just run, I'll run through it quickly. Hogan was one, two, and three. Match man at four. Five was Hogan again. Six was the Warrior. Seven was Hogan. 8 was Macho Man, 9 was 10 was Bret Hart, 11 was Diesel, 12 was Shawn Michaels, 13 was Undertaker, 14 was Austin, 15, 15 was Austin again, wasn't it? So yeah, 16, yeah, there you go. Oh, there you go. Yeah, so, I'm full of useless little facts like that, you know, there's probably, there's only so much room in my brain for information, so my head is, <laughs> my head is full of wrestling knowledge, and I've got no qualifications, so there we go. I love this, I learned so much. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I mean, normally when we, we have a little look back on shows, um, on pay-per-views on my show here, David, we sort of, me and the guest each give it a bit of a, 
a bit of a grade, a, an old-fashioned sort of school grade, I guess. I mean, for me, I look at this show as having a, an exciting, eventful, hard-hitting undercard. The Rumble didn't really hit all the notes with me, and as I've seen other Rumbles I've enjoyed a lot more, but the undercard I really enjoyed. For me, I'd probably rate this Royal Rumble 2000 event as a B. How, how do you view it? Yeah, I was going to go with B plus. Like, yeah. I, and that might just be me looking back at it slightly more fondly as my as my first ever WWF pay per view. Um, but yeah, I think that that's pretty fitting, doesn't it? It's it's a really solid, fun show, um, and I really enjoyed going back and watching it over the last day or so to to do this. So thank you very much. No, no problem at all. Um, before I let you go, do you want to let everyone know whereabouts they can find you online and? Uh hopefully follow you on Twitter and Facebook and wherever else and um, see your name pop up on future events if we ever do kick this COVID away. Yeah, sure. And we will eventually. It yeah. just takes time. So I hope for the best. Um, on Twitter, I'm Heritage City HM. Um, on Facebook, you'll just find me as a, as a regular old add a friend profile called David Eaton. Um, and I'm on Instagram as well, but I haven't posted on it in a very long time. Um, heritage city hm as well okay great stuff um i'd love to have you back on again david i really enjoyed i i, I enjoy the interview aspect to to my little show here when i'm speaking with people from various companies and, and wrestling and promoters and so on but i find looking back at old shows something i really really enjoy myself and and having your perspective on this show that i know is is quite a big deal for you being one being the first one you watched i've really enjoyed I'd, I'd love to have you back on again to look at uh, other pay-per-views from the past maybe something you've never seen before we could look at go yeah. to different companies or, or whatever I'd, I'd be really interested to have you back on if you'd be interested in that my friend 100 percent would be i've really enjoyed it great stuff okay well for everyone thank you very much for listening david thank you very much for your time and i'll speak to you soon cheers <laughs>